You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. edition of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball two years to the day i don't know if you know this sam dykstra two years to the day since it was announced that there would be no 2020 minor league season thankfully we uh we have survived we have uh continued to uh bring this podcast to you and all the things that we love about minor league baseball and a little bit of a new minor league baseball landscape but i saw that today um pop up on uh, on social media and man we have lived a very long few years haven't we all <laughs> uh i'm tyler ronnie sam Dexter. what's up sam hey i i was wondering where that was going when you were saying it's two years ago that something happened and I'm yeah trying and you're to like remember. well 2020 it wasn't anything good right right yeah and uh, i remember that episode so vividly just getting everybody to kind of send in their thoughts and feelings on on what minor league baseball meant to them yeah and uh yeah i mean i i'm still amazed that we all got through that summer like there was no minor league baseball i'm sure yeah. this happened to you a lot it happened to me a lot family friends people come up up to me and being like so what do you do yeah what are you doing now yeah oh, and then, okay you know, we got cool interviews we talked to a bunch of guys that summer um the tyler stevenson episode will always stand out to me yeah um because we talked to him for so long after the cameras or after the cameras after the zoom uh was no longer going. Um, I remember we got Spencer Torkelson pretty fresh off being a yeah. number one overall pick uh, when he was at the alternate site. Um, yeah, there was just like so many things that we we kept the wheel turning. That and was now our... the wheel kind of turns on its own because yeah. the season has been back for a year and a half. And as far as things go, you know, there were there's still some hiccups uh, with the pandemic, and it's still raging on. And there's still people getting touched by it all the time. But uh, you know. Just the fact that we have new topics to talk about every week. I, I still don't take that for granted. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, we talked to Julio Rodriguez that summer as well, we I did. believe. Yes, um, yes, we did. We, uh, did we talk with Adley Rushman that year as well? I believe so, yeah. Uh, that was a, it was a Bobby Wood Jr. That was a loaded um, summer of uh, of conversations with guys who were, yeah, in all different spots in, in the world at that point, um, you know, baseball wise, whether at the alternate side or doing their own work or, um, yeah, that was uh, a summer that we don't need to remember. Uh, <laughs> although we had some very good interviews and if you'd like to go back and listen, um, then, and please do, uh, but we welcome you into this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. And we got a lot to talk about today. Um, I, yet again, this is like, I feel like this is like three out of the last four weeks that I just wasn't around to talk to Ben. Um, but I have a good excuse today. I was at the uh, the Colorado Avalanche Stanley Cup Championship Parade in downtown Denver. So uh, apologies to Ben. I'm sure he's not heartbroken that I wasn't around. But um, I, uh, yeah, I missed out on that yet again. People are going to be like, what does this guy do for this podcast? He like comes on and hosts and then he's not on during the interview segment. He's not talking to Ben. But I promise I, I do some work. You do all the behind the scenes stuff too. Yeah. Like the fact that this sounds the way it does is 100% on you. Like yeah. jo- Josh does a works. tremendous job with ghost of the miners. He does providing his voice, but like everything around that and what helps make that sing is, is you. So you know, now we need to- Josh to actually sing. If that's what <laughs> makes week. it sing. That's what we need now. One yeah, of these times Josh he's going to gonna do a team name that is yeah. musical in some way. Yeah. It'll be like the, uh, you know, the altos, uh, the Altadena altos. Um, so, uh, just a, a tremendous thanks to you for holding down so much of the show over the last few weeks, but, uh, I made it to the parade, um, the largest contingent of drunk professional athletes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and, uh, it but was, did you it touch was, the cup? Fun. So I did not touch the cup. It was up on a, on a fire truck with, uh, with Gabriel Landeskog, but I have touched the cup before. So I I've told this story on Twitter uh, a couple of times and 
for whatever reason, it just like pops into my head, like every spring that I tweeted this story once. But one time, my very first job out of college, I was working as a, a radio producer for a morning show with a guy who is now one of the play-by-play voices of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Tim Neverett. Tim did the show from his house, but I had to produce it from the studio. And Tim kept, a, I'm sure there was like an email that I missed or something, but like the show started at six in the morning. I had to be there by like five. If anybody knows anything about me, it's that I hate mornings and I'm the worst person at mornings on the planet. So I probably just like didn't open the email or didn't care about it. Uh, But Tim kept alluding to this special guest that was going to join us in the studio that day. I was like, whatever. I don't, I don't know what this is referring to. I'm like, you know, 78% asleep. And uh, it's like, I don't know, 8.15 in the morning. must have been earlier than that because the show only went until nine. But regardless, I see the door to the studio open. And, uh, you know, like somebody's obviously like bringing something in. I thought it was one of the other employees there. And so I'm like not really paying attention. Uh, and then no joke. I look over and 10 feet away from me. The Stanley cup is sitting on a desk, like on its cloth, you know, it's little, uh, it's little Stanley cup, um, lounge area. And it was me. Phil Pritchard, who is the keeper of the cup. You can find him on Twitter at keeper of the cup and the Stanley cup in like a 250 square foot studio, literally just the three of us. And I was like, what in God's name, what is going on here? It was one of the most random and one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me, uh, working in sports, but we all get those little, those little moments in sports. Um, that was certainly one of the coolest for me. I've never been that way with a commissioner's trophy. I have never, it seems so pointy and spiky, you know? Yeah. And there's something to the fact that the Stanley Cup, you literally get your name on it. Yeah. Which yeah. is so cool, which my mind boggles at like what's going to happen 50 years from now. Is yeah. it just going to be massive? Like how far? So they do go? remove a rung. And actually, if you watch the, the trophy presentation, the avalanche this past week, a lot of the bottom rung is blank right now because when they get to a certain point with it, they'll take one of the older rungs off and that goes to the Hockey Hall of Fame. And, uh, and then they just add a new one, which got dented. Uh, during the Av celebration. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it is one of the most fascinating stories and trophies. And I know this is a baseball podcast, but uh, it's been a big week around here, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hockey uh, exuberant. Listen, I mean, anybody who's listening to this podcast right now knows that championships don't come off. Exactly. That is true. I was going to say, I was, I thought you were going to say they know that we spend the first 10 minutes not talking about baseball. Well, that too, which is that also too. true. But the, the fact that, you know, it, all everybody listening to this is hopeful yes. that their farm system is building a champion, and then right. someday you can celebrate that uh, with hundreds of thousands of people in your home city, yeah, or state, or whatever. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's a joyous time, and and especially the Stanley Cup trophy. Like I could talk about that entirely on its own. Maybe we'll yeah. save that for the season. Man, that was a great way to tie this back into the baseball podcast. Nice work, Sam Dykstra. Uh, So we are going to talk a lot of baseball coming up here today on the show before the show. If you want to get in touch, we've gotten a whole bunch of emails uh, as of late, which has been fantastic. Keep them coming. Podcast at MILB.com. If you've got questions, if you've got things you've wondered about the minor leagues, we do have one email that we will get to a little bit later uh, in the show today. Um, But there's all kinds of stuff that we would be happy to uh, start or join the conversation with you about. Get in touch, podcast at MILB.com. So without further ado, let's dive into three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. And uh, we kick it off with strike number one, a terrific bit of news for anybody who has listened to this show in the last month, which is that your pal and ours, Vinny Pasquantino is a big leaguer. Vinny was promoted to the Kansas City Royals uh, last week. He's only played in a couple of big league games so far, uh, but a guy who got a standing ovation when his name was announced uh, to Royals fans. We talked to him about what he has thought about with his major league debut being so close. And he said, this is what I've thought about every single day since I was a kid. Uh, and now he's there after a terrific start to the season with Triple A Omaha, 69 really nice games there. He batted 280, 372, 576 for the Storm Chasers, 18 homers, 67 runs batted in. He also walked 37 times against 36 strikeouts. And in the big league so far, he's over five, but he's walked twice and he has yet to strike out. Um, Vinny Postman, you know, not just a good guy who we really love talking to, but a really impressive and exciting young talent for a Royals fan base. That's getting a lot of that at the big league level. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm glad you brought up our interview with him and, and what he talked about getting that major league debut, because two things I want to call back to in that interview. 
one, he said he was going to keep his phone on him at all times. And even at one point told his girlfriend to go fetch his phone in case, uh, you know, he was going to get a call that, hey, you're going to Kansas City. Pretty when she said, why do you need your phone? <laughs> he said, well, I could be getting a pretty good call today and some point soon. Right. So so the call came essentially on a Monday and, you know, it, it, he got a text, I, I believe, from the Omaha manager that was just like, hey, you know, what are you doing? And it, being an off day, there were a lot of household chores to go around. So he was like walking through the hallway of his apartment complex and then came up to his manager and a few other coaches and they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm taking out the trash. This is, this is what, I, you know, it feels like it's, it's a big day or something's happening. I, I should take care of taking out the trash. And he's like, you're going to want to drop those bags. You're going to Kansas City, which is exactly what Vinny sounded like he was prepared for. It's like, it's going to come out of nowhere. Um, you have to always be on your toes. The second thing was he talked about the day itself being such a whirlwind that he expected the call to come and he wasn't going to remember much of it. And he wasn't sure how it was going to go and how nervous he was going to be. Um, so, you know, he expected that first day to just be kind of nothing. And then uh, like just taking it all in and realizing you're a major leaguer. Well, I don't know if the Royals like heard him say that or what, but he was pressed for time coming from Omaha. I had to drive over to Kansas city, make a bunch of phone calls along the way. And they sat him in that first game. And I know it's not exactly what a lot of Royals fans wanted, but I would not be surprised if Vinny Pasquantino himself kind of appreciated getting the day off to take it in, to get into a major league clubhouse, to look at Kauffman Stadium and realize that he had officially made it um, and allowed to, you know, internalize all of that before he took the field for the first time, or at least got to hit for the first time the next day. So maybe that's a case of knowing your players. Maybe it's just another case of, hey, he got there way too late to actually be ready for a big league game. But just thought those two things were very notable. Getting into what allowed him to be called up, Tyler, you brought up his stats there um, as somebody who did walk more than he struck out. One other thing I just want to kind of call into or bring to everybody's attention here. At the time of his call-up, there were 770 minor league qualifiers in full season ball. So 770 players who had enough at-bats to qualify for batting average titles, OBP titles, things like that. Vinny Pasquantino was the only one, let me say that again, the only one of 770 with a walk rate above 12%, meaning he walked a, a, a healthy amount, a strikeout rate below 13%, which means he rarely struck out, which is notable for the modern game, and a slugging percentage above 500. So not only was the guy walking a bunch, he knew Quite the zone good. really well. He was not striking out, so he wasn't really swinging and missing a ton. And when he swung, it was with power, and it was with intent, and it was with impact. Uh, Vinny Pasquantino snuck onto our top 100 prospect ranking pretty recently. Um, we're going to be doing an update at some point next week. He's going to be jumping several spots in that update. I'm not going to tell you where. We're still hammering all that out. Uh, but th there's a case to be made that he was – one of the most productive minor league hitters of the season this year, and that's coming off a breakout 2021 for him, if not the best or most productive minor league hitter because of what he was doing in terms of not striking out and hitting for power it is really, really special. It took a trade of Carlos Santana from Kansas City to Seattle to, to make some room for Vinny Pasquantino. Uh, but I appreciate that the Royals finally did call him up. They said he's going to be an everyday player, splitting duties probably at first base and DH. He's not going to play another position. Uh, but they're going to hit him against righties. They're going to hit him against lefties. He's a left-handed bat. The splits were a little bit favorable against right-handers against versus left-handers, but uh, he should hold his, his own against southpaws as well. Um, really excited call-up. Really special guy to talk to. I think Kansas City's going to fall in love with him if they haven't already. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to see what he does there in the Royals. And he's just another piece of the pie there following, you know, promotions from Bobby Witt Jr., who is – looked really good of late MJ Melendez, who's going to take on a, a bigger and bigger role with Salvador Perez being in, injured. It hasn't been a great year in Kansas city, but the arrivals of those guys gives you something to see on the horizon. So that brings us to strike two, which is uh, a guy who took a much more circuitous route to the big leagues. And uh, yet alongside that, no less and perhaps even a greater accomplishment than uh, somebody who gets there in a very straightforward manner. 
Mark Appel, who was the first overall selection in the 2013 Major League First Year Player Draft, uh, after going in the first round the year prior, by the way, in the 2012 uh, Major League First Year Player or the uh, the amateur draft in uh, when he was taken by the Pittsburgh Pirates and signed a year later uh, after being taken eighth that year and then first in 2013. Mark Appel has had a very fascinating road, and I'm sure he would probably choose a lot of words to describe it. Maybe fascinating wouldn't be one of them, but uh, debuted in the Houston Astros organization after the Astros took him first overall in 2013. He reached AAA by 2015, um, but really started to run into some struggles. And uh, of course, the the most pronounced of those struggles was in his first full season in pro ball when he just was getting roughed up day after day, it felt like, with high A Lancaster, then Class A Advance uh, in 2014 in the California League, put up a 2-5 and five record, a 9.74 ERA in 12 starts, um, ended up going to the Arizona Fall League that year, did okay there, went to, to Corpus Christi and Fresno the following year, then got traded to the Philadelphia Phillies organization, and then after the 2017 season, he hung it up, and we did not hear from Mark Appel for a while, three years out of professional baseball, 2018, 2019, and of course, 2020 with no uh, minor league season. Uh, But he decided to make a go of it starting last year. And now 30 years old, he has made his major league debut. He was outstanding to begin this year in relief with AAA Lehigh Valley and the Phillies organization, made it to the big leagues. It's crazy to be talking about Mark Appel as a 30-year-old and just making his big league debut. I think if you would have known much about him, uh, you know, even going into 2012 when he was the eighth overall pick in the draft for the Pirates, you certainly would not have guessed that it would take until 2022 for Mark Appel to make the big leagues. But, man, what a story. You finally see him uh, at the major league level. A guy who was one of our very first – maybe our very first guest – on the podcast, so I looked this up. Uh, I was not on. I was not on the show at this the point. Pre- I was like Sam the pre-Sam era. Yeah, I, I, you guys would kind of bring me in every once in a while. R.I.P. Jake Signer now right. uh, working with the uh, Associated Press, and therefore uh, R.I.P. For, for our purposes. <laughs> well, so, so you and Jake talked to Mark Appel for episode four. Four. Uh, the first episode was about you guys going to spring training. The second episode was with Durham manager, Jared Sandberg. Ah, right. Jared Sandberg. Uh, and then episode three was you guys talking about Chris Bryant and Joey Gallo, who are Las Vegas natives together. So the first interview of a player with a player, right. Was indeed Mark Appel. Uh, and that was episode four a long, long time ago, many, many moons ago. Uh, but in terms of Mark Appel reaching the major leagues right now, I believe he is the oldest number one overall pick to have made his debut um, or, you know, the oldest former number one overall pick uh, being 30 years old. Like he is, it took him the second longest in terms of gap between when you were taken number one overall to making that debut. I I believe Matt Bush has the longest uh, stretch between being taken number one overall and finally seeing the majors. Um, so good for him for finally getting here. Like you said, he was really good this year at Lehigh Valley. You look at the numbers of one, six, one ERA, 24 strikeouts, only eight walks and 28 innings. Um, even more special because of the time off that he took. This is not just the 2020 pandemic. This is him just putting baseball aside for a few years. Uh, it had been four years between when he came back in 2021 from when he first pitched in 2017 had 10 pitches in his debut uh, Thursday night or Wednesday night, excuse me. Perfect inning, uh, struck out one, was throwing a sinker and a slider. Uh, the sinker was coming in at 96.4 miles an hour. So the velo was certainly there. The one slider he threw was at 83 miles an hour. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, it's kind of crazy times right now for the Phillies as a team. Bryce Harper going down. They have aspirations of being a playoff team. They could certainly use some bullpen help. Is Mark Appel going to be that guy? We'll have to see. He is on the older side. I mean, he's not throwing 99 and 100, uh, and the slider is not going to be super, super great with, with spin. But at least, you know, he, he has the success to build on. He certainly earned this call. Um, and even if he only gets a handful of games this year and they send him back down, it's still pretty inspirational that he reached the majors. Reaching the majors is so difficult to do. Yeah. And this is not an instance in which the Phillies were like, hey, we owe – you know, we, we drafted you. They didn't. It was the Astros who drafted him. Uh, we traded for you. Okay, that was years ago. This is not something like, hey, we need to do this to justify these moves. Those ships have sailed. What 
the Phillies are in right now is a win now mode. They need guys who are going to help the ball club and Mark Appel to his credit, put in the work, put in the performances to make this happen. And now he's making the most of it. Hopefully he gets a little bit more than one inning in, in a, at a time when the, the team was losing. Um, I would love to see him get some high leverage innings and, and really put that stuff to use. But um, even getting there, even getting one inning of major league baseball is a huge testament to the, uh, to what Mark Appel has done over the last few years. Pretty amazing stuff. And huge congratulations to Mark Appel to uh, finally make that final step in his journey to the big leagues. And uh, a guy who was very easy to cheer for. If anybody does go back and listen to that, first player interview we ever had on the show uh with with Jake Siner and uh and me at the time I remember sitting in my apartment at the time and trying to figure out like what can I edit out of this interview because I think we talked to Mark Appel for an hour um and getting to a spot where it was okay this episode is still going to be long I think but it'll be you know at least um contained the the conversation will be uh coherent enough that uh, it'll make sense even though it's a long one but i just remember his enthusiasm comes through so easily when you talk to mark appell and hearing him talk now on the other side of his career uh is so fascinating and and you'll be blown away i'm sure if you go back and listen to episode four 360 episodes ago uh that is that is unbelievable and congratulations to mark appell and he has a great twitter account now he does. He, he, I think oftentimes now there's this, especially during the pandemic, there's this whole feel of like, I need to thread something that I could just write for the internet. Yeah. And athletes don't have that space necessarily. So it right. kind of becomes that for him, but he has some of the most inspirational threads and, and, and forthright and honest threads of what it's like to play in professional sports and what it's like to come out of a hole. Um, I definitely recommend finding his Twitter account and following it. And he takes fans along for the ride. In, and in it's not, way. it's not his old one either. It is no longer M Appel 26, which is still listed on his baseball reference page. It is now Mark Appel 26 and you can find him. Uh, his pin tweet is great. Um, which is, uh, a lengthy, um, look back into, you know, really, especially 2014 when he struggled at Lancaster, he's got a picture of a, a clubhouse wall that he destroyed because he was so furious about how much he was struggling. Um, it's a, it's a guy who, is not afraid to let his human side show. And uh, that's really very admirable uh, about Mark Appel and uh, big congratulations to him. Uh, and so for strike three, we uh, take a look back at the month of June. We are nearly at the end. It is the final day of June today. We're recording on June 30th. And uh, Sam, some players of the month who deserve their recognition for June's games. Give us uh, your thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I just want to shout out run one here real quick, which is Nico Cavadas of the Red Sox system. Um, he's somebody who, you know, he was coming out of the draft last year, came out of Notre Dame, uh, was an 11th round pick as a first baseman. So, you know, college first baseman, you're going to have to hit if you're taken in the draft. Um, and he certainly accomplished that. Now he started out this month in single a Salem, which makes you think like, uh, you know, college bats, especially first baseman should really destroy single a bat uh, hitting or pitching rather. And he certainly accomplished that, but he's been, he's moved up to high a Greenville, uh, in the past week. And through his first five games there, he's eight for 17 with three homers and two doubles. Um, so five of his eight hits have gone for extra base hits. He, he's got an OPS of one, six, six, eight since joining Greenville. The reason I bring up Nico Cavadas is because in the month of June, as we sit here on June 30th, this could change. There's one day left in June, maybe some games happen tonight and he drops, but Nico Cavadas leads minor league baseball in the month of June in on-base percentage at 529. So he reached base more than he didn't this month in slugging percentage at 987. Nobody else in minor league baseball, no other qualifier. I Pretty say, good. Minor, minor league baseball slugged above 731. So he cleared everybody else by 250. Uh, and he leads an OPS at 1.516. Uh, nobody else had a, an OPS above 1.211 who clears them by 300 points. And he had the most home runs uh, with 13. Nobody else had more than 10. So Nika Cavadas, again, a, a guy who needs to hit. He needs to be doing this. He was playing at a lower level than he probably should have opened the year to begin with. But this is how you put yourself on the map. This is I was writing up a blurb earlier today about Pete Alonzo and who he needed to be coming into the draft. And Pete Alonzo was a second-round pick. So 
11th round versus second round, very, very different. Um, but thinking like Pete Alonso needed to hit early in his career to justify being taken there. And then he led the minor leagues in home runs and then led the major leagues in home runs one year later. Nico Cavadas is, is clearing that bar um, so far in the Red Sox system. It's been really fun to watch him here in June. And now I'm very fascinated to see what happens now that he's tackling high A for the first time. Can he keep this hot streak going? Because if he can, then we're definitely talking about him not only as a top 30 prospect in the Red Sox system, but maybe a top 20, top 15 type guy. So that's three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. And uh, I'm taking the next segment off. So <laughs> Sam, tee it up for us. Go yeah, after I mean, th- This one is Ben is on the road this week. Um, so he is in Beloit. He is starting his Midwest trip. Uh, he got to get one game in Beloit before we started our conversation. Uh, so he's going to be reviewing their new ballpark, their new identity here coming up for you guys just here in a little bit. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, I am joined this week to my left, my very, very, very far left, uh, by Ben Hill, who is in Beloit as we speak right now. Uh, just starting his Midwest swing for his latest road trip. Ben, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. I don't. I should have looked it up. I don't know how many thousands of miles I am to your left. Um, over a thousand, I would think. We'll, we'll look it up and uh, get back to you on that. But uh, yeah, I'm in Beloit, Wisconsin. First time in Beloit since 2013. And um, I'm happy to be here. Beloit, of course, being the home of the Skycarp, rebranded prior to the 2022 season and playing in a ballpark, which did open in 2021, but late in the season, uh, ABC Supply Stadium. So it's one that I had not yet been to until I went there last night, number 184 uh, on my how many stadiums I've been to spreadsheet. (laughs) Yeah, and just to cut everybody off at the pass, I am facing north as we record this podcast, so you are to my left. This is not just a north-centric uh, podcast. I literally checked that before I said it. Um, but yeah, so you, you talked about going to ABC Supply Stadium, a new ballpark for you, which is number, what number is it? 184. 184. So I, I always ask you this whenever you go to a new place, because I, I feel like you kind of have a checklist of things you you want to see or you look for when you are experiencing a new thing. So what were your first moves when you got to ABC Supply Stadium? What were you looking to check out first? Yeah, just getting the lay of the land first and foremost. And it's something I've been doing the last several years is uh, staying two nights at a ballpark that I have not been to. Um, One, you know, is rain out insurance or, you know, something of of that nature where if travel goes wrong uh, to make sure I can still at least see some game. And then if everything goes well, which knock on wood so far it has, uh, then I get two nights to and and the second night really helps because after one night I can kind of fill in the blanks with what I need. So it's really just getting the lay of the land first and foremost. So this new ballpark is um, the Rock River run, runs along the third base side and across a small bridge uh, on the other side of the river is Illinois. So it is that close to the state line. And uh, you know the town of South Beloit is in Illinois and Beloit is in Wisconsin. Um, it's funny though, how kind of arbitrary these state line distinctions can be. Cause I just feel like I'm, I'm in Wisconsin. Like I, this trip is Wisconsin. I'm not thinking about Illinois, but it's just, it's just so close. So the ballpark is just past uh, like the Beloit downtown, which I hope to explore a little bit more today, but I think tied in with the new ballpark, there's been a larger push for, um, you know, Beloit downtown to be developed. There's some new businesses, uh, you know, nicer restaurants and swankier hotels. Uh, so looking forward to uh, looking around that today. And uh, my very first impression of the ballpark was, wow, this is shoehorned into a tight space. Um, at first, I was confused where to park because I didn't see any signs that said like Skycar parking. And really, you just park in the parking lots of nearby municipal buildings like City Hall and um, 
you know, things of that nature. I think I did park in the city hall parking lot, you know, next to the ballpark, but it took me a, a moment to figure that out. And my very first thing when I get to a ballpark is to take a picture of the exterior. And this is one of the few times, or maybe only time I can remember this, I had to cross the street just to be far enough away from the exterior to get any kind of shot. And even that, you know, has a pole, uh, a big light pole running up through the center of the, of the photo. Uh, so it's, there's not much room between the, the ballpark exterior and the street. Um, so when you're driving and you're going past these, you know, through downtown and these municipal buildings and then bam, there's the ballpark on your right. It's not one of those ballpark situations where you see it from far away and the lights and it's this, you know, glistening thing in the distance. You, you could almost drive by it and, and have to do a double take like, whoa, that's the new, that's the new minor league ballpark. Uh, so it's right there um, in a pretty tight space again with the rock river on the on the left hand side and um near downtown proper and um it's nice and, and with that same feeling of from the exterior being like Whoa, you know i have to back up just to get far enough away to take a photo when you walk in and get up on the concourse you're just like bam yeah <laughs> like there's home plate and there's the field it's just like Whoa. and the capacity is something like 3500 people uh it's a very small capacity and beloit is what i was told yesterday and I think this would check out, you know, it, I think it depends sometimes on how you, uh, you know, what factors you use to determine like the smallest market in minor league baseball. But I was told yesterday Beloit is the smallest market in minor league baseball. Uh, I know in other times I've heard, heard that set of Kinston, you know, who are now the down East wood ducks. Um, but regardless, this is a very small market, you know, 30, they're fine with the 3,500 uh, capacity stadium. Of course there are some sellouts, but I, I think they're, they're looking at, you know, how they're running on a, a smaller operation in a smaller market. But for this team to continue in any way, shape, or form, they needed this new ballpark because the previous ballpark, Pullman Field, was built in 1982. And I don't want to say it was totally falling apart, but it was certainly of, of another era and would not have, you know, survived into the future, um, particularly with the minor league reorganization that occurred prior to 2021. And, um, you know, we, we've made this point on the podcast several times, but you know, we just kind of take it for granted because the whole time we've been covering minor league baseball, you know, Beloit's just one of the teams. So you say, of course, Beloit has a minor league team, but Beloit is one of the unlikeliest minor league teams in all of minor league baseball in terms of its market size and in terms of getting a new ballpark together um, for baseball to continue because it had been a community owned team in a, you know, small, no frills, uh, not many amenities uh, kind of old ballpark. And that old ballpark, Pullman Field, in the last season heading into you know 2021 they had seven season ticket holders not not seven large accounts with representing a bunch of people they had seven season ticket holders so it kind of shows you how improbable it is and how much the team you know under new ownership how much work they had to do yes they're in a pre-existing market you know familiar with minor league baseball but that shows you know how little support the team have been getting and um you know how little there was to inherit from a you know a fan base that just naturally knew what was going on and crossed over to the new ballpark. Yeah. And I was just looking over the attendance numbers after you said that about you know, the capacity of the stadium. And it looks like year over year. And I know 2021 was a weird year. You know, there were some COVID restrictions at the beginning of the season and not everybody was comfortable coming back from the ballpark, but it seems like attendance is up 50% year over year. Uh, having a new ballpark is obviously helpful. Having a new identity is helpful. Um, but beyond just, you know, what Pullman, field was uh, like how do you compare the two having experienced it before and, and getting this new place yeah i was asked that yesterday and it's it's tough it's very much an apples and oranges situation um i talked to two of the uh seven season ticket holders that were left from last year uh, i wish i remembered their names pat and the man's name uh, it might come to me but an older couple and you know i was asking them about that and you know they were just like yeah it's it's just something totally different and we were a little skeptical at first and of course it costs more money and you know we're on a retiree's income and we were a little skeptical but you know now that we're here it's still minor league baseball and it's still an intimate facility and it's still you know getting a chance to connect with these players and uh you know technically it's a little bit of a higher level than what had existed before in the midwest league which is now high a as opposed to it had been you know single a low a however it's been designated over over the years so it's a slightly better version of minor league baseball of course a beloit uh brewers affiliation would be ideal at that level but appleton uh where i'll be heading on uh, tomorrow 
they are the brewers affiliate at that level. And, you know, that works well for them. Uh, so, you know, you don't have a huge connection with, you know, Miami Marlins and Beloit, Wisconsin, um, you know, in terms of that affiliation, but you're still seeing these players at a high level in an intimate environment, still very affordable as professional sports go and uh, getting to finally take in and, and perhaps see for the first time what a new ballpark is, even a smaller one like ABC Supply Stadium. It has a 360 degree concourse, you know, much more, you know, concession points of sale, you know, that new video board, all the things that come with the new ballpark. Um, so it's a whole new experience compared to what had come before. And, and, and speaking of that you know, new video board, I remember talking to you coming off of Sugarland, which was another new ballpark for you in 2022. And, and one of the big things that stood out was the big Texas sized and Texas shaped uh, video board there. Do you feel like there are any touches to ABC Supply Stadium that are unique to it or are you know the big standout features of that place? I mean, there aren't uh, there isn't a, you know, Wisconsin shaped scoreboard or, or anything. But there could be. But there the could future. be, there could be. They might want to consider that uh, for the future, um, wedging that thing within a Wisconsin state outline. Um, yeah, I think one of the most unique features is yeah, there's a river walk you know that runs along the third base side, and uh, the Rock River right there. So, um, yeah, I tweeted this out last night, but you know, I saw a guy fishing you know in a boat that was basically on the banks of the river on the ballpark side of the river, and I'm just like, this guy could really get hit by a foul ball. It would be unlikely, but that's how close the river is and this fisherman was. So I think having that natural aspect, uh, there's a big water tower looming over right field and it does not have a team logo on it. And I wanted to look into that and be like, I feel like it should be, you know, not law, but if you have a water tower in such close proximity to a minor league ballpark, you know, very good practice if you can swing it. I know you can't just do the this sort of thing unilaterally, but I would love to see the uh, team logo up on the, uh, up on the water tower overlooking the ballpark. Um, I think beyond that, outside of anything that's super unique to Beloit, it's again, just having a ballpark, a 21st century, a 2020s ballpark uh, in this community, which is so new and, you know, the, the concession items uh, I'll be meeting with the designated eater tonight and, uh, you know, checking out stands like Wisco on a stick, which has uh, more state fair type stuff. They have, uh, you know, really good Mexican options. Uh, you know, wild game, you know, sausage specials. Um, so all these things are just uh, are totally new. And and um, yeah, and the ownership group, the team is owned by Quint Studer, who has roots in the area, but, you know, also owns the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. So there's a real, um, his whole philosophy is so customer service driven. Um, so it truly is a very, very friendly ballpark, very well staffed. Um, they, they are almost religious about this surveying system where every fan who attends a game gets emailed the next day, is asked to fill out a survey, and they, um, you know, they read those survey scores every day, which is basically the metric is not just did you enjoy yourself, but did you enjoy yourself so much that you will recommend for others to attend. So on a 10-point scale, they want to be consistently above eight and really above nine uh, to create this uh, you know, growing sense of oh, this is the best thing to do in the community and how can we do that? And they really do go all out on that front. So uh, it's a small ballpark. I mean, I think their attendance numbers that like they were, it was a Wednesday night yesterday. I don't know what the attendance was. The ballpark was maybe half full. I'm sure the total crowd doesn't look awesome when you just look at what the attendance was, but in Beloit on a Wednesday, um, it was pretty good and everyone seemed very happy and a, a very friendly environment. You know, so many staffers came over to me and just said, hi, how are you doing? Not because I was you know, the great and mighty Ben's biz, but just that's their approach to, to everyone. And um, so just a really friendly, welcoming environment. And I think that goes a long way as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and speaking of, you know, new things to, for you to experience, um, it's not just the ballpark, it's the Skycarp identity itself. Uh, we talked about this in the off season when they made their announcement to go to the Skycarp, which for those of you who don't know, a Skycarp is basically a goose. Um, it is not a fish that flies, not yet anyway, but uh, now that you have seen it in person and seen it on the field, seen how it's been used uh, by Beloit to kind of drive this new identity in this new home, how do you feel like it's gone so far? Well, it's obviously really, you know, integrated into the whole, you know, ballpark experience. I, I think a big part of it is just uh, the potential for, uh, you know, the team beer is, um, what is it, the foul pole or something like that, F-O-W-L, or F-O, 
Yeah, F-O-double-U-L, <laughs> like a bird. Um, you know, a lot of goose, goose puns. Uh, they are actually have not unveiled their mascot yet. It is coming on Friday. I got a uh, off-the-record reveal of what the name is going to be, but I think that will, you know, obviously add to the branding and the tie-in is having finally a Skycarp uh, mascot. But it's just really just all the signage. Um, no, all the merch. I mean, just how you'd expect it to permeate the ballpark experience and uh, signify a new era, you know, from what the team had been, the snappers. But I have to admit, you know, as someone who likes older things, I went to the team store and they had this uh, big rack of snappers gear. And I was like, oh, this is, this is the stuff I'm interested in. And um, just because, you know, it's easy to romanticize the old and be like, you know, this is the kind of stuff you got to get now, you know, when it's still, when the getting's good. Did I buy any? No, I have too much stuff. But, um, I thought the snappers and that angry turtle was pretty cool, but obviously they needed to update the identity and uh, really signify this new era. And it's certainly come together. And I think the mascot is going to help with that as well. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Wisconsin and how Wisconsin focused you are on this trip. Uh, part of that being, like you said earlier, you are going to Appleton, Wisconsin on Friday. So folks out there, uh, you know, who are, might be listening to this Friday afternoon might want to go to the, the Timber Rattlers game to catch you. Um, what are you looking forward to most about revisiting Wisconsin? Yeah. And Appleton, Wisconsin, um, I had a jam packed night there, two nights there, nine years ago, throughout the toilet paper, first pitch was involved in all sorts of tween inning contests. Got to finally uh, spend some time with uh, Dean of the Midwest league announcer, Chris Maring, uh, there was just so much going on. The salute to paper, uh, salute to outdoors. Um, it was just ever since I went, I said, I, I can't wait to go back there. And, you know, it took nine years because there's a lot of teams and uh, Appleton, you know, Wisconsin being far north and kind of a little bit off the beaten path road trip wise in terms of, um, you know, you really have to prioritize that region. It just doesn't like as opposed to like, you know, the Carolinas or parts of the Northeast where it's just easy to be like, oh, I'll hit that ballpark again because there's so many other teams. Uh, you do have to really prioritize this. So I'm glad that Beloit, uh, their new ballpark gave me the context to get back to Appleton. And um, I've been enjoying poking around, you know, as soon as I got into Beloit yesterday, I drove to the Road Dog Diner because it's one of the few places I remember from my last visit, you know, got a, a big uh, lumberjack breakfast there across the street is a kitschy souvenir and fireworks store with a big porcelain cow out front, all sorts of, uh, you know, cheese and sausages and uh, knickknacks related to the state of Wisconsin inside. So, you know, when you're a tourist, those kind of things are great. And, um, you know, after we talk today, I'll have a few hours uh, before I have to get to the ballpark. I was thinking if I can swing it, maybe driving to Rockford and uh, checking out the ballpark uh, where the Rockford Peaches of the uh, All-American Girls Professional League play. So there's, you know, quite a lot of stuff uh, around here and then looking forward to going you know, deeper into Wisconsin because right now I'm on the very southern fringe of it uh, and seeing the Appleton, uh, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers in Appleton uh, on Friday. I'm sure it'll be a great time. Yeah, and, th and that trip to Rockford could be great timing as well because there is a um, there's a TV show coming out as well, right? I believe. Yeah, Later I believe summer. there is. I kind of forget the, the details on that. Um, it was one of those things I got, I got a DM on Twitter from someone who was like, Hey, have you considered this? And I was like, Oh yeah, good call. <laughs> Maybe I can uh, swing that, um, you know, see, see uh, some baseball history in Rockford and poke around Beloit's downtown and get to the game early, do some interviews. Um, it'll be a jam packed day. And this is part of it, of course, doing this of course. Is, is all part of a jam packed uh, road trip day. And then I'll get into Appleton uh, early tomorrow and I'll spend uh, a lot of the afternoon poking around, seeing the sites with, uh, my friend Kyle, um, I haven't said his last name out loud in so many years. Lobner. <laughs> I think it's Lobner. I don't want to say it's Lobner or Lobner. Lobner. Uh, but he has covered uh, the Brewers and the Timber Rattlers for a lot of years. And he very graciously reached out to, to show me around. So whenever I can swing that into a, a road trip, uh, I, I really enjoy it. Sometimes logistically it doesn't work out or just the amount of work I have to do, it doesn't have to work out. But as much as you can uh, experience the region writ large is great. Yeah. And then your final stop will be in St. Paul. Um, do you have designated eaters lined up for that? Uh, I do have a designated eater in St. Paul um, and one in Appleton. Actually, tonight is still TBD 
because my scheduled Beloit uh, designated eater, you know, came down, uh, was under the weather and uh, emailed me yesterday with deep regret that he could not do it. So I just put out a tweet uh, about an hour or so ago saying, hey, basically like first come, first serve, um, let's do it. So I'm sure I'll get somebody um, one way or the other. But yeah, got got a designated eaters lined up. Uh, I think in St. Paul, it's going to be, I'll be two nights there, never been there. Uh, CHS field, um, you know, they have a great reputation for crazy promotions between inning stuff, ballpark characters, a lot of them in the form of their usher tainers, who are, I suppose, nominally ushers, but also, you know, they all have different, you know, kind of character roles they play and add a lot of energy to the ballpark. You know, the ballpark pig uh, that changes every year this year, it's 8675300 swine is the name of their uh, ballpark pig. And uh, I hope to talk to the pig farmers who have been with the team since the beginning on the, uh, the ballpark pig uh, angle. So, yeah, there's a lot of things to explore and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And um, I, one question I was just going to ask about this, we're talking about designated eaters is, and I don't mean to paint a broad brush here. Um, I know the Midwest is a tapestry and there's, you know, lots of things for lots of folks there, but how much can you eat at a Midwest ballpark? Uh, that is gluten-free. Like, I guess if you just take away a lot of the, the bread from the, the meat offerings that they typically have out there, but yeah, I mean, nachos are usually good. I was actually looking at the menu. Usually I don't eat at the game anyway, much just because I like to move around and just sitting down with a plate of food just kind of seems like, you know, too much wasted time. But I did notice that they had something called brachos, which are like brats cut up into pieces with nacho, um, you know, toppings. And I was like, well, I think that'd be gluten-free. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So I don't know if I'll have those tonight, but whoever my designated eater is very well might. And, uh, you know, in parts of the Midwest, I found it even more gluten-free than others. For some reason, Iowa just seemed to have its, its finger on the pulse of uh, GF offerings more than most states in general. I don't know really what, why that is, but a lot of the time it just, it comes down to, you know, having gluten-free buns available and marked and it, I understand it can be tough for the concessionaires because the gluten-free bread, you know, needs to be obviously kept separate, um, usually needs to be refrigerated or frozen. Uh, you get it in smaller amounts. Um, then if no one's ordering it, you don't know what to do with it. You know, it's, it's tough from a kind of whole uh, just inventory standpoint sometimes, but uh, it's always appreciated when teams have those markings and some do and some don't. And um, I do find that, you know, if you got questions, you just, you just ask, but uh, I get around it usually just by not eating at the ballpark, which is uh, maybe the coward's way out, but I got these designated eaters, you know, they, they do it for me. And I was going to say in your defense, like you said, like you are always on the move at the ballpark. You were trying to take in so many things, even on these places like Beloit, like St. Paul, where you, you were there for two nights. If you're trying to get the entire experience, you ha- kind of have to be on the move the whole time. Right. Uh, and and, and speaking of uh, Wisconsin food, I've got a pack of cheese curds with me right now. Well, there you go. Buffalo wing spice cheddar cheese curds. So I bought those at the kitschy Wisconsin souvenir store yesterday. And they're pretty good. They don't have that squeak. Sometimes, you know, the fresh cheese curds have a, have a squeak. I just put a very small one in my mouth, but I didn't <laughs> be uh, chewing on the podcast because that's very bad form. I was going to say, we could turn this into an ASMR podcast very quickly, but we won't do that. No. Um, Ben, I will let you go get food. You said you were going to go explore, uh, get some lunch around the Beloit area, really explore downtown in, in a way that you weren't able to yesterday as you were preparing for your trip. So I'll let you go here, but enjoy the rest of the trip. Uh, say hi to everybody in Beloit, Appleton, and St. Paul for us. Uh, we'll have you back here in New York next week. But uh, yeah, safe travels the rest of the way. Oh, thank you, Sam. It's always uh, great to do these segments. And thank you for anchoring the podcast uh, as I'm running around Wisconsin and Tyler is celebrating the uh, avalanche winning the Stanley cup. We need you our rock to uh, keep things, you know, locked down and, and operating. So everyone listening to this, just give a tip of your cap to Sam Dykstra, the rock of the show before the show podcast. Well, not to mix metaphors too much, but I am now going to pass the baton to Josh Jackson, who is now going to give us our next edition of ghosts of the Miners.
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst of the fraudulent pair. One brought fans out to the ballpark, the others are out of my mind. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Youngstown Gremlins. B. The Brainerd Zombies. C. The Franklin Frankensteins. I wasn't trying to sabotage you, but the correct answer is A, the Youngstown Gremlins, who represented the largest city in Ohio's Mahoning County in the 1946 season. Before World War II put the Middle Atlantic League on hold for four years, Youngstown had shared the name and iconography of their parent club, St. Louis Browns, who had a little elfin mascot known in Scottish folklore as a brownie. When the league returned, Youngstown's affiliation with St. Louis was no more, but the mischievous little character was back and ready to take over the whole identity with a moniker that had become a big part of American pop culture. Gremlins, said to be to blame for malfunctions in military vehicles and equipment, and already a phenomenon in RAF mythology well before the U.S. of A. entered the fray, had recently appeared everywhere from newspaper comic strips to Bugs Bunny cartoons to Hollywood films. And in the spring of 1946, Gremlins appeared in the Middle Atlantic League. After a decent start to the season, the wheels came off for the Gremlins when they were no-hit by Erie Steve Rushnock on May 21. In late June, Youngstown skipper Paul Birch, a star for the early National Basketball Association's Youngstown Bears and later the coach of the Fort Wayne Pistons, was vehemently booed in the stands and called out in the press for a strategical mindset that is and has been open to question on many occasions. <laughs> but the Gremlins did indeed successfully gum up the works for some opponents, and Youngstown aged well as Birch barked loudly enough to stop the plummet. By season's end, thanks in part to the performance of shortstop Bob Gardner, the Gremlins were in third place at 67 and 62 a record which would have looked a lot better had the Erie Sailors not coasted through a 91-39 and 39 campaign. When the 1947 Middle Atlantic season opened, the Youngstown Club had charged out as the Colts, and that's how the Gremlins ate it after midnight. <laughs> now, on to the question for next time. Which of these medically-minded clubs healed up in the minors of yesteryear? A, the Albertville Alienists. B, the Yuma Bonesaws. C, the Vancouver Horse Doctors. Want to know the answer? Get healthy. Or tune into the next Ghost of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is at a cookout, and some kid just called him a weed. Big thanks to Ben and to Josh for stopping by the show, as always. Uh, another just rousing ovation for Josh. Uh, and that brings us to our final segment on this week's episode of the show before the show. But before we dive into our MILB.TV picks, we do have a listener email 
to address. We have uh, we got two really cool emails. One from Carlton Sterling, uh, who is a, a a young guy who is going to get into sports media. Uh, he is currently studying journalism in college at the alma mater of. Vinny Pasquantino, our uh, first strike subject from earlier today, Old Dominion University. Um, so really cool email from Carlton who emailed in. And then we got a question from uh, John C. And I'm going to leave it at C because, John, I do not want to butcher your last name, um, even though I would, as I said, it we will pretend like we're doing it for privacy reasons. But John asks... Hey guys, I was wondering if you had any info on minor league all-star games. I do see a hole in the schedule for single A, high A, double A, and triple A the week of July 18th to August 21st, but can't find any details. Thanks in advance for the help. And as always, the great web content and podcast. Um, this is something that we discussed last year a little bit. All-star games that were kind of pushed out because of the, the reschedulings of seasons with the pandemic, pushing things back a little bit. Um, Sam, give us the, the details if you've got them. So I, I actually answered this to John directly, but I will take this to others because I'm sure many of you also have the same question. Yeah. Um, so the there is some space there in the middle of July. July 18th to 21st is a break for pretty much all the minor leagues, um, which is great because you know these guys are are going at it six days a week. Um, but it's it's just that it is essentially just a break, giving these guys a break in the middle of the season, basically in the start of the second half of the season. It's not right in the middle. Um, but it's also kind of carves out a portion of the minor league schedule so there can be more attention on the major league side. As of now, there have been no announcements about minor league all-star games. doesn't seem like they're going to be happening this year. If there's any change in that for any reason, it's probably too late in the game. Uh, for that to happen, you know, we would have had announcements already. If there ever is, we will bring that to you both here on the show and MILB.com. Uh, but, you know, all-star games are things that towns love to talk about for months in advance and sell tickets and promote the heck out of. Um, we just haven't had that in, on the, the minor league side this year. So instead, they're going to take that break, treat it like an actual break, freshen up, recharge the batteries, uh, and then get back to it on July 22nd. So you may have noticed that break in the middle of the year. It, that's all it is. Personally, I would love minor league all-star games to come back. I yeah. think they're, they're great rewards for players like I said, are playing six days a week and putting it, you know, their hearts and souls into this game. And yes, the reward is eventually going to the major leagues, but also, you know, getting a little bit of an honor in the middle of the year always seems like a fun thing, even if it involves a little bit of travel and guys going, you know, all to one place and then having to immediately go back uh, to their minor league homes. So I'm hopeful they come back for 2023. Uh, if they do, again, we'll talk about it here on the show, but as of right now, no plans for ones in 2022. So uh, we're going to give you our MILB.TV picks. But before we do that, Sam wants to tell you about the MILB store online. Isn't that right, Sam? That is correct, Tyler. Yes. MILBstore.com is your one-stop shop for minor league team official gear. Whether you are searching for the perfect fitted cap, uh, which is pretty much every day of Tyler Mon's life. It is. The latest on-field theme night jersey or the perfect gift for a family member. Browse over 500 different logos and designs from your favorite MILB teams. Head over to MILBstore.com today and subscribe to our newsletter to receive 10% off your first purchase. MILB Store, we have your fun in store. So... Nicely done, by the way. Very nicely done. So let's give you our picks for MILB.TV. Sam, what are you watching on MILB TV this weekend and next week? Yeah, so we talked about in the first segment, Vinny Pasquantino, and, and a big thing that stands out to me about Vinny Pasquantino is his ability to not strike out a ton, uh, to walk a good amount, and show some power. You know who else is doing that? Although he's striking out a little bit more, but he's also walking a little bit more, is Gunnar Henderson. Yeah. The Baltimore Orioles system. Um, Gunnar Henderson has been called up to AAA, became AAA's youngest position player, at least regular position player uh, this year when he moved from AA Bowie to AAA Norfolk. He's been almost as good at Norfolk as he was at Bowie, uh, and that's been really special to follow for him. So I'm following a lot of Gunnar Henderson these days. Uh, next week, he will be traveling to Jacksonville, which means we could get some special matchups between him going up against Max Meyer, that Norfolk team also boasts Jordan Westberg, who's 
right on the cusp of joining the top 100 in the Orioles system. Another really good middle infielder uh, for them. Him and Henderson have kind of been flipping off duties at shortstop. Henderson's been playing a little bit third. Westberg's been playing a little bit of second base. The Orioles right now, Adley Rutschman is, is doing really well uh, in Baltimore. You know, the, the team's starting to really pick up some momentum. I think they actually finished above 500 this month, which is a huge deal for the for Orioles fans. Not saying that, you know, they're going to make the postseason this year or anything, but you can kind of see them turning the corner. Henderson and Westberg being at Norfolk is a big piece of that as well. Maybe they can make Baltimore before the end of the year. We'll have to see. Uh, but them going up against Jacksonville next week should be – they can also keep an eye out on J.J. Bleday, another top 100 prospect on the Jumbo Shrimp side. Uh, Tyler, what are you watching? Yeah, so uh, one guy who has been really on fire as of late, Tyler Freeman in the Cleveland Guardians organization, the infielder uh, at AAA Columbus, who I know um, brings up some uh, some charged and perhaps uh, polarizing evaluations of himself as a prospect. Tyler Freeman, a very good offensive player, a guy with a 65-grade hit tool, uh, and somebody who's coming off of some big performances uh, just within the last few days. He had a five-hit performance uh, for Columbus just uh, – actually, Actually, it was a four-hit performance uh, just last night. He went four for six. And uh, a guy who, you know, for the month of June is hitting 319 with an 817 OPS. But it just feels like we hear from him a lot as of late with two-hit games, three-hit games, four-hit games, in which he's making a big impact. He and those Columbus Clippers will be home next week to take on the Nashville Sounds uh, in Columbus. And uh, as as noted, the week's schedule is a little weird uh, with Monday games on the 4th of July and the Tuesday off day. But um, if you don't have time to catch them next week, uh, Columbus will be on the road at Iowa this weekend. So you can catch them on MILB, DT, on MILB TV as they take on the Cubs. And uh, Tyler Freeman, my choice for the week. I don't think I've picked a, a Cleveland Guardians player this year for, for MILB TV. So there you go, Cleveland fans. I'm sure we'll be picking them a lot more in the second half. There's been yeah. some good news about Daniel Espino yes. throwing again after experiencing first knee issues and then shoulder issues. Um, but that that Guardian system is, yeah, I would say sneaky deep, but I think a lot of people are on to just how deep they are. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, so those are uh, the picks. Uh, and once again, if you've got questions like John or anybody else, you can get in touch, podcast at MILB.com. You can find us all on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB, at Ben's Biz, at Josh Jackson, MILB, and at Tyler Mon. And uh, for Sam Dykstra, I am Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. Hey.